Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This is Afroeconomics with JB Bryan. Afroeconomics is a strategic financial management program designed for the advancement of black wealth in America and abroad. Black Wealth History. By 1860, America had 4 million slaves worth a total of $3 billion in that day's currency. According to a writing by David Blight, the total value of all slaves combined as property in 1860 was greater than the value of every bank, factory, and railroad in the United States of America. That's amazing. By 1860, America had 4 million slaves worth more than $3 billion, I repeat. As a result, there were more millionaires in Mississippi Valley than any other part of the country at that particular time. And now that area is one of the poorest areas of America. Throughout the 246 years when slavery was an institution in the United States, the forced free labor extracted from enslaved men, women, and children allowed their white slave owners to accumulate massive amounts of wealth. It is not often we actually take the time to think about what this free labor has meant to the wealth-building potential of slave owners and what has it cost black descendants of slaves. Another fact I didn't know is that reparations for slavery has been already paid. But the reparations were paid to the slave owners, not the slaves. On April 16, 1862, more than eight months before the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, Abraham Lincoln signed a bill ending slavery in the District of Columbia. It provided for immediate emancipation of slaves and compensation to the slave owners loyal to the union of up to $300 for each freed slave. So for over those next nine months after April 16, 1862, the Board of Commissioners appointed to administer the act approved that they could compensate the former owners for the freedom of 2,989 former slaves. So Lincoln's administration paid out about $1 million to slave owners in reparations, all of those slave owners in D.C., for the loss of what was seen as property. 
So why is the wealth gap so huge? Because you see all of these studies that show black wealth dramatically lower than white wealth. I've even seen studies of black wealth being one-tenth of white wealth. Even as our income is growing, our wealth is not. It turns out that the government has played a central role throughout the U.S. history. Countless specific laws, policies, rules, and court decisions have made it more difficult for people of color to build wealth. And for many of our ancestors, the government actually transferred their wealth to their white owners. Now, more than 50 years ago, on the March of Washington, Martin Luther King said in his I Have a Dream speech, he talked about the economic state of our black community way back then. He said that we're living in the lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. Dr. King was saying that America has defaulted on a foundational promissory note of opportunity when it came to its citizens of color. He said they were writing a check to black families that have been returned as being insufficient funds. Now, more than that 50 years after King's words on racial economic injustice, they still hold true today despite the progress that many of us have made since 1963. Our economic problems still exist and are undoubtedly having an economic impact on all of America because black wealth matters. So here's a breakdown on the legislation and the policies that I'm referring to. From America's earliest years of European settlement in 1860s until from the beginning of their time here until the 1860s, black people were considered assets for their owners, bought and sold, and the owners created even more wealth from the slaves' children. And slaves and their labor was the basis of wealth creation for plantation owners. And slaves and their labor was the basis of wealth creation for the people who owned and operated slave ships. Slaves and their labor was the basis of wealth creation for the companies that even insured the slaves and insured the slave ships. So at the end of the Civil War in 1865, the Freedmen's Bureau and uh, the Occupying Union Army decided to distribute land to ex-slaves, the 40 acres and a mule. Well, then the Freeman's Bureau disbanded about seven years later, and most of that land that went to slaves was returned to the former white slave owner. Slaves then became sharecroppers and perpetually in debt. They could never pay it off in many cases. In May 20, on May 20th, 1862, there came along the Homestead Act, and it accelerated the settlement of the Western Territory, granting adult heads of families 160 acres of public land for a minimal filing fee, and they must live on that land for five years of continuous residence, and then it's their land. Well, and that's 1862. In 1883, 
we lost the right to protect ourselves. The Supreme Court overturned the Civil Rights Act of 1875 that had given blacks the right to protect themselves and their property. And then by 1900, southern states passed laws that kept African-Americans separate and unequal. And some black families and communities still continued to prosper and do okay, but many of their homes and businesses were destroyed and people were lynched. And we know the example of June 21, 1921, where the entire community was burned down and 600 black businesses were ruined in Tulsa called Black Wall Street. I'm J.B. Bryan, the creator of Afroeconomics, a strategic financial empowerment program based on 10 timeless financial principles like generational wealth and legacy, financial knowledge, credit confidence, entrepreneurship, self-reliance, and more. Afroeconomics gives you the guidance and tools you can use to develop and sustain wealth. Check out Afroeconomics on your favorite social media platforms. You will find us everywhere. Plus, enjoy my weekly Afroeconomics podcast. There are many levels of Afroeconomics membership, including the free online access membership level called No Excuses. So make no excuses and check out Afroeconomics.com today. Powered by J.B. Bryan Financial Group, Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm. Hashtag Afroeconomics. So let's think about this. Let's look at some other legal moves that hurt us. So when I talk about that Homestead Act of 1862 that accelerated the settlement of the Western Territory, well, approximately 270 million acres or about 10% of all land in the United States, was given to over 1.6 million homesteaders. Today, research finds that 46 million adults, or about 20% of the U.S. population, can potentially trace their family's history of building wealth to that one public policy. Yet, despite the impact of the Homestead Act and the fact that it allowed for any adult, including black adults, to claim that 160 acres of land, it still disproportionately benefited white households. For example, black people, they ran into a series of legal obstacles that were put in place to block the former slaves from owning the property. They couldn't claim legal ownership of the land offered by the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act was made possible because of land stolen, actually, by the government from Native Americans. And then let's look at, in 1935, the denial of Social Security to farm workers and domestic workers. Yes, in 1935, there was the the beginning of the groundwork of the nation's Social Security safety net infrastructure where it was laid out to allow you to get Social Security. Yet, despite how important that new legislation was, it excluded a third of all American workers, including farm workers and domestic workers. And they were predominantly black people. They were excluded from Social Security coverage. 
the cost of exclusion from Social Security coverage was about $143 billion adjusted for inflation. So white workers were denied as well. But the overwhelming majority of that particular farm workers and domestic workers population were blacks and other people of color. So we bore the brunt of the impact of being denied that coverage. And as we move on, think about federally sanctioned housing discrimination. Yes, between 1934 and 1968. The Federal Housing Administration, the FHA, along with other public and private sector actors like the Federal Home Owners Loan Corporation, intentionally shut us out from the opportunity to purchase homes through the practice of redlining. Despite FHA's goal of making home ownership accessible to more American households, the underwriting practices, meaning the approval process, during those 35 years, resulted in black people receiving just 2% of the government-backed mortgages issued over that period of time. The practice of being denied access to traditional credit pushed many of the black households into wealth-stripping land contracts. It's a a form of predatory lending and, and a costly arrangement in which buyers paid an exorbitant Price to purchase a home in which if they missed a payment, they were evicted. In many cases, lost all of their equity. So according to Prosperity Now Research, the practice of land contracts led black families to pay on average of 20000 more for their homes than the prices paid by white families ultimately stripping more than $500 million of wealth. That's $3 billion adjusted for inflation from families that look just like you over that 30-year period. According to Prosperity Now, that practice not only set the stage for home ownership to become the largest driver of the racial wealth divide today, but it actually shaped And figuratively and literally, it shaped the communities in which black people live today. And let's look at veterans, black veterans. Denial of economic opportunities to black service members. By and large, the GI Bill of 1944 was credited for providing millions of returning World War II veterans with the opportunity to access wealth-building opportunities using low-cost home mortgages, low-interest business loans, and tuition assistance to go back to school. But the bill did not include um, discriminatory protection. I should say it, it delegated administrative authority to the states with minimal federal oversight. So the result was pervasive racial discrimination in which the service members of color were more likely to be denied access to the benefits that they have been granted. So like with redlining, discriminatory lending practices to our service members was prevalent and it left the veterans to face racially biased administrators on the state level. 
Here's an example according to the research in Road to Zero Wealth. Three years into the administration of the GI Bill of 1944, Mississippi cities were found to have issued two loans to out of 3,229 loans. Only two have been issued to black veterans for home ownership or businesses or farming. Only two. So now we see the reason why our wealth gap, because this wasn't that long ago. So those are your grandparents, your parents' parents, or or it could be even you. You you may, I mean, these are within our lifetime. These are things that have existed within the last 60, 50 years. And what's going on today? Well, what policies do you think are impacting you today? Well, I feel that that there is a lack of political interest in making sure our young people are prepared to enter the workforce. And we are depending too much on the traditional college experience as a way to build wealth when it's not happening. I believe that we need to have skills and technical training needs to come back into our communities and we need to create more entrepreneurship and encourage each of us and all of us and especially our young people to get skills and to start businesses and to increase their education and training. I believe that minimum wage is a challenge for us and that we need to make sure we speak up to our politicians about having an increase in minimum wage. There's a lack of affordable housing that is impacting our community greatly. And that we need to create more business incentives to encourage businesses to want to be in our neighborhoods, to train our, our community to do things instead of putting all of the training and their resources in training in other countries. There's people and a black population that wants to be trained. And we can recover, and we have been recovering, but because we're making higher incomes, but we need to make sure that we save more and that we do more for the future. Think in generations, not just in months. Avoid materialism. Avoid education loans. Avoid car payments. Consider riding the bus. Consider saving up for a larger down payment for our home purchases. Who wins when you put just a little bit down on your home? Even if the government allows you to get a loan with a small down payment, they're charging you more because of the risk involved in you not having any equity in your home. Take steps to leave an inheritance. Think about generational wealth. Consider an appropriate insurance policy if you don't have the savings at this point, but you have children or a spouse, someone depending on you to help with bills. Make sure you're protecting your family. Build a business. Take care of your health. Stop giving our vote away. Speak 
up on our political demands of building the community, building our training, building our businesses. And for God's sake, make a commitment that we will not be in the criminal system. We have a history of higher conviction rates, and it is true. So let's make sure that that stops and we move forward in power. Register for my events that are happening every week at afroeconomics.com. That's Afroeconomics, and I'm J.B. Bryan. Today's podcast was powered by J.B. Bryan Financial Group, a registered investment advisory firm and the home of Afroeconomics in Virginia, Maryland, Washington, D.C., and New York. Don't forget to subscribe to Afroeconomics with J.B. Bryan on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave me a five-star review. I'm J.B. Bryan, and that's Afroeconomics at AURN.com. by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.